Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and the Pittsburgh Penguins offseason rolls on as we finally hit one of the offseason tentpole events, the NHL Draft Lottery. We'll talk about the results of the Draft Lottery to lead things off, and then since we haven't done it in a while, we're going to get into the GM search. Not that there's been any real significant news on that front, because there hasn't been. The Penguins are still casting their net, still grabbing as many candidates as humanly possible. I think it was either Darren Dreger or Pierre Lebrun that said they're up to at least a dozen candidates that they were going to look to interview via Zoom at the very least. So it's certainly going to be a process that is not nearing its conclusion. We'll talk a little bit about the fan favorites that have emerged as the process has continued. But Horwat, let's start with the NHL Draft Lottery because the Pittsburgh Penguins officially will be selecting 14th overall in the 2023 NHL Draft being held in Nashville, Tennessee. This is going to be the highest selection that they have had since 2012 when they selected Derek Pouliot 8th overall. Pouliot had played 67 games with the Penguins over three seasons, scoring two goals and 12 assists. So safe to say that he didn't pan out for the Penguins, but still in the league. And there's something to be said for that. He played eight games last season for the San Jose Sharks. So Horwat, were you surprised at all that the Pittsburgh Penguins stood pat at 14th overall? No, not at all. I mean, those numbers spoke for themselves, right? It was a 1.5% chance of moving up uh, and like a, 0.2% chance of moving down, something weird. Uh, yeah, no, it's that... Uh, let's be real here. Most of the order happened exactly as it was predicted to. Most of up it? Up until the very end. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was... Up until the commercial break, it was every number that you expected, every team that you expected, Bill Daly just rolling through the motions, uh, Kevin Weeks reading off the pre-written uh, stuff, which... Hey, you know what? Sometimes a little TV magic goes wrong. It happens. Let's be real here, because everyone knew the every GM, every so and so report, every everyone knew the order before it went live on TV. Is that exciting? No, but I mean, I immediately just dove into the Kevin Weeks thing. It happens, man. <laughs> Listen, the the NHL is kind of a house league at times, anyway, so this only makes sense. Yeah, of course, Horwat is referencing the fact that Kevin Weeks accidentally, whether it was his fault or production's fault, there's a lot of a lot of names and a lot of voices that go into that happening. He accidentally mentioned that the Columbus Blue Jackets fell from second overall to third overall without even showing it on the screen as it was cutting to, I believe, a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Uh, and, and you just heard, and Columbus, the first change has moved to three, and then you know, the Duncan, Hugh the Duncan commercial. Everybody's like, wait, what? Like, clearly that wasn't supposed to go over air at that moment. But, uh, you know, the NHL had a 30-minute show that was already predetermined and they still messed it up. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. I don't, it, to be real and to be fair, how entertaining can you make, you know, this draft lottery? I mean, could you just do it live? I mean, yeah, do we, that's do how we you break make it entertaining. The- You'd literally just pick out, the ball pick out the lottery ball and it'd be more entertaining than that nobody really cares if you go team by team you're not building as much suspense as you think you are that's fair i guess i mean do they just bring out the big cage the big spinny cage with everyone's like envelope in it 
like the NBA used to do. <laughs> yeah, even throw it back to the old days like that. I don't, I wouldn't hate that, honestly. But no, it, the way that they do it is, is obviously severely flawed. The other thing that I mentioned before we actually get into the Pittsburgh Penguins picking 14th overall and another discussion about what they should do with it. The one thing I thought of and I heard and I was surprised by, and I don't know if you knew this, teams are prohibited from picking first overall within the same five-year span now. I didn't know that. I mean, I guess you would call it the Edmonton Oilers rule, yeah. but I did not know that that was a rule. I, so obviously everyone remembers that they changed the rules to it, um, and Penguins fans will you know, know really well that they can only move up, that teams can only move up as many as 10 spots. Mm-hmm. I knew there was other stuff in it. I think just because we are fans of and we cover the Penguins, we didn't really read the rest of them because <laughs> we would hope that it never really pertained to us. Um, but, I mean, I guess it checks out. This league's trying to do everything they can to inject some parity. And, I mean... I mean, yeah, it's a new rule, but things seem to be working. Have you seen the playoffs this year? Seattle Kraken are doing a thing. Um, Vegas is still a relatively new team and have have been good, but are making real mockeries of the the Oilers here, at least in two of the games. Um, The parody has been insane. So Mm -hmm. I think the rules are working. We'll see if that one pans out. I mean, it also seems like it's a rule that won't be implemented very much right like how often genuinely are teams going to be or are going to win the first overall pick within the same five-year span i know the oilers did it but they had different they legitimately had different uh a different system back then mm-hmm. now it is now the system the way it is the odds are a little skewed i just don't see it coming into effect anytime soon yeah, it could potentially happen. I don't think it would happen more than once. If it does, then whoever is the general manager slash owner of that franchise should go actually play the actual lottery. Not that it matters because those guys are all millionaires. But still, uh, at the same exact time, it was a rule that I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that that existed. But good, you know, the more you know, I guess. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about the Pittsburgh Penguins here because as of today, they don't have a general manager. So they don't really have anybody to be the face of this decision because they have clearly, as you saw in the draft lottery, they have multiple people that could make this decision. You had a story out that says, you know, unlikely, but could they go through the NHL draft without a general manager in house? Again, unlikely. They're probably going to figure something out before that happens. But as of right now, there's nobody to be the face of that decision as the general manager who usually takes all of the credit or all of the, you know, non-credit for these draft selections. But if you were the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Horowat, other than getting more nice haircuts like you have today, thank you. Would you pick or sorry, would you trade the first round pick? Yeah, thousand percent. It'd be out the door. I don't know with what. There's a plenty there's plenty of different options that you could trade that first pound first round pick for, uh, and how and with. Um, but I don't think I would keep it around and be utilizing it at the draft table. Just even if you save it until draft day, you know, and make the make the on the floor move, however you want to do it. I think um, whoever that first round pick may be at fourteen, um, no, it wouldn't be useless to the Penguins, but it uh, it wouldn't solve any current issues. I'd say it's um, it may as well just be a, it may as well be traded already. Mm-hmm. 
when I look at first round picks and the way that they have been devalued, we've heard it from everybody we've put on this show as a guest over the past season. Jesse Marshall said it. Rob Rossi of The Athletic said it. Uh, Hunter Hodes of Locked on Penguins has said it. Doug Gladkey of Forechecking TV has said it. Uh, I talked to Josh Getzoff of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. He said it. Mets, our good buddy, has said it. First-round picks have been devalued, especially for teams that are looking to contend. At this point, they are just tools to get proven NHL talent to your roster. Look no further for evidence of that than the 2023 NHL trade deadline. 11 first-round picks traded. And I'm going to run down through the names of some of these players traded for a first-round pick. And you tell me if you would have thought ever in a million years that they'd be worth a first-round pick at the deadline. And keep in mind, most of these players fetched a first-round pick and more. And then some, yeah. Tyler Bertuzzi makes sense. Yeah, I can. Jacob Chikrin makes sense. It definitely does. Philip Roenick, a conditional first-round pick? Ugly. Vladislav Gavrikov and Jonas Korpasalo were a first-round pick and Jonathan Quick. And more involved, I believe, as well in that deal. Uh, that that deal's an interesting one. It seems to have worked out, though. I don't know. That one's an interesting one. Gavrikov is a pending free agent. That's another wrinkle in that one. Rasmus Sandin. I mean, he's playing like it, but no. <laughs> Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty, former Pittsburgh Penguin. <laughs> Never in a million years would I have thought Sam Lafferty would be worth a first, but hey, here or we are. Or even involved in a trade with a first yes. round pick, unless it was strapped to him. Right? I don't know I don't know what he did this year to gain that kind of attention, but hey, you know what? Good on him. At the same time though, he is the Blair County leading playoff goal scorer, right? Most yeah, playoff it- goals scored by anybody <laughs> ever from Blair County in Pennsylvania. <laughs> good for him and what's really funny though is that you figure yeah hold on they did trade him for a first round pick he's been healthy scratched man he has been a couple times we'll get into we'll get into the toronto maple leafs trade deadline when we talk about the general manager candidates tanners you know we all know what the the tampa bay lightning do Woo. <sighs> that whole trade was a mishap mm-hmm. uh timo meyer makes sense right don't don't really need to get into it too much on that one yeah, that one makes sense, except for the fact that he has not produced at all in this playoffs. Uh, he scored a goal in the last game or two games. Finally. Whatever. I mean, he did get his face blown off by Jacob Truba in game seven. So he made an impact, but just not in a way that they were expecting when they traded a first round pick. Dimitri Orlov, Garnat Hathaway. That makes sense in my yeah. eyes, especially considering you get two really good players uh, for that first round pick. Ryan O'Reilly, Nolachari. I think that one made sense, especially pick, considering yeah. the way that Ryan O'Reilly has performed in the playoffs for Toronto. And uh, Bo Horvat, who was good in the regular season uh, and also will be a New York Islander for years to come. So a lot of these players are good players that you're getting back for first round picks. But it furthers the discussion that if you're a contending team, there's very little value to these first round picks. If you're a rebuilding team, yes, they still have value, but you want to collect two, three, maybe even four first-round picks. We saw Arizona pick in the first round three times last season, including Logan Cooley at third or second overall, third overall, whatever it was. Uh, I believe it was second, but... Somewhere up there. If you're a contending team, it's very much not a value for you, and the Pittsburgh Penguins are hoping to be a contending team. So I would agree that if you're serious about being a contender, listen, I understand it. The prospect pool is barren. It's not there. 
But if you want to contend next season, or if you want to contend in the next couple of seasons with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang still performing at the level they are, this first-round selection doesn't make sense to stay in their hands. No, it doesn't, uh, especially considering, like you said, where those players are in their careers. It's just about time for them to you know, have someone to play with now. I mean, it's always been that time, but <clears throat> this is different. And, you know, it, you want to make the team younger. Obviously, that's going to be a huge part of it. But, outs- I mean, in most NHL drafts, outside of the top five, how many of those players are cracking the team immediately? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a list here of the recent 14th overall selections dating back to 2015, if you care to hear about what some of the names on this list are. Yeah, and I'll hear them in just like a split second, but you have to look at, I mean, even last season. Last season was supposed to have a very deep draft. Mm-hmm. Uri Slavkowski made the team out of the draft. Simon Nemich went second overall. I pulled up the list for you. I don't, I haven't heard his name yet in the New Jersey Devils organization. Mm-hmm. Um, Logan Cooley, third overall. We know he went back to college. Shane Wright, okay, well, that's a whole different situation, but he ended up not crack, really cracking into the NHL right away mm-hmm. because circumstances um cutter Gautier, i forget if he played with the flyers this year i don't think so if he did it was very limited like he didn't play the entire season i don't think he played more than half the season if i yeah. had to guess i didn't watch i didn't watch much flyers hockey or what looks like he played in boston college this past season so no like you're you're even your top five draft picks are not normally cracking the roster right away so mm-hmm. but now that we're at 14 no, we need a guy who can play in this roster right now. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing with the 14th overall selection. And when I say these names, I'm not by any means saying that, especially in the last three seasons, these guys aren't a bust, especially last season, because you need time to see if this prospect is going to develop to judge whether or not they're a bust. But the Pittsburgh Penguins right now, in our eyes, if we were the GMs, you're not looking for six years down the line. You're not looking for seven years down the line. You're looking for in this year or in the next couple of seasons, two, three, maybe even four seasons. That's your window right now. And these players, most of them are not contributing in a factor that trading the pick would end up getting you a player that would contribute for, right? You trade the pick, the guy's going to contribute this season, probably the next couple of seasons. If you take the pick probably not going to contribute in the next couple seasons, nowhere close to what you're going to get for him. But 2022 was Rutger McGroarty. I really liked Rutger McGroarty in last year's draft process. Knew he wasn't going to fall to the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 20s. So we'll see what he ends up doing for Winnipeg. But again, just got drafted less than a calendar a year ago. 2021, a name I've really, going to not lie to you, never heard. Isaac Rosen to Buffalo. Nope, never heard of him. And Buffalo, shocking, actually. They're full of young talent that has cracked the NHL. Exactly. Uh, 2020, Dylan Holloway has played some time in Edmonton, has been a depth guy for Edmonton as a young player. I think he made it to the NHL last year during the playoff run, was like his first taste. But again, three years later, just getting his first taste. 2019, Cam York to Philadelphia. Uh, He's, we know he's there now, but he hasn't been a huge, no one on that team has been a huge impact player yet, so... He's played a, a good bit this season for Philadelphia. This was his really, I think, first year playing at a s- substantial level, but look at where Philadelphia was. 
Yeah. The Penguins look, are there in four years. Then it's not going to make a difference whether or not you take the pick or, or trade the pick. Yeah. Was Cam York one of those players I said were going to be a problem for the Flyers for a very long time? Yes. I feel like he may have been. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 2018 was the Flyers as well. Joel Farabee. Uh, well, we know he's there. So four years, right? Like that's kind of your... Before you I mean, even get somebody to the NHL as a consistent contributor. Yeah. And of course, you know, obviously a lot goes into, you know, scouts picking certain players. There's all kinds of factors yeah. that go into it. But in the grand scheme of things, when you draft someone, like I said, outside of the top five, usually, mm-hmm. you're going to be waiting at least a year, two, three, maybe four until they actually crack the NHL. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we picked 21 last year, but guys, we're not going to see Owen Pickering for a little bit still. Oh, yeah. He's finally, he's just now, just up the, this upcoming season, going to break into North American hockey. He might not even last the entire year. You don't know. He might go back to Swift Current for a season or something. Yeah. I don't know how just, all that works. Which but is still North American, but I get what you're saying. Professional, I guess. I should <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm used to, sorry, I'm used to like the Europe. We've seen a lot of European prospects. Like, yeah, used to which is something, talk. yeah, yeah, we'll talk That's about a... that in a different day. <laughs> yeah, but that being said, yeah, like, we're not going to see Owen Pickering at the NHL level for, nah, we're coming up on the 23-24 season, maybe not until 24-25, guys. And that's even just, like, for a sniff at the, at the league. Like, mm-hmm. these guys have to progress themselves into the NHL, and, and barring a just skyrocketing potential you know guys like pickering or anyone else we pick at 14 isn't going to make it in right away yeah uh just to close this out 2017 was cal foot from tampa bay 2016 the best player on this list charlie mcavoy to boston and 2015 was jake debrusque to boston when they had 14th 15th and 16th overall selections in a row and uh debrusque, one of them. Uh, debrusque was one of them um but yeah charlie mcavoy the best player on this list and yes would it be nice for the Pittsburgh Penguins to select a potential Norris Trophy level defenseman at 14th overall this season? Yes. Do I want to wait till 2030 to see him reach that potential? Not particularly considering the actual circumstances of the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. Uh, But before we cut the break, I do want to get your thoughts on this. First overall pick goes to the Chicago Blackhawks, Horwat. Were you surprised at all? I am definitely a little surprised. I think that everyone has a right to be mad. I did just see a tweet not too long ago that said, guys, you have to remember it's a different organization now. Somewhat. Yeah, for the most part. For the most part, it is. Yeah. I mean, we'll discuss one of the main figureheads in a little bit. I mean, Joel Quinville's still not in the league. Um, I think Jonathan Taves is really the big focal point of it at this point, right? He's the one that's still there who... um, has had his everyone knows what we're talking about i'd assume by the way with the the uh, brad Aldrich situation in 2010 but that being said it's a different organization um and even in a few years time it will be a complete turnover right you would assume i mean how many people are still with the team that were there in 2010 and 2011 right mm. it's not many i mean even patrick kane is gone at this point jonathan Taze is still sticking around everyone aside of that it's not much so you do still have the right to be angry at the team and at the league for not taking any more supplemental discipline against them. Um, but it's a different team. And if Connor Bedard hits his potential in Chicago, face of the league. Yeah, I think when you look at this or when I looked at it, I was like, first of all, of course, 
Uh, you know, of course, it's the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, you look at the three teams that were up for Connor Bedard. It's Anaheim, who I'll talk about in a second, because, oh my God, poor Anaheim. Uh, Columbus, who, yeah, that would have been fun. I mean, small market team, Connor Bedard, Johnny Gaudreau. That would be a lot of fun to watch, especially in an already loaded Eastern Conference and Metropolitan Division. Mm-hmm. But, of course, he goes to the Chicago Blackhawks, because the Chicago Blackhawks are one of, if not the most marketable teams in the National Hockey League in the 21st century, right? They were one of the pillars of the post-lockout era for the Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh Penguins <laughs> for the National Hockey League. So it only makes sense that the first time they're really down there, they're getting the first overall pick that could be a generational talent. They have the honors of drafting, which we expect them to do, the 17-year-old phenom in Connor Bedard. But before we head to break, I do want to say one thing. I am so sorry to the Anaheim Ducks. I really am. You finished second in the draft lottery for Sidney Crosby in 2005. 18 years later, one of the worst performances in a season-long 82 games that I have ever witnessed with my two eyes, and they finished second in the lottery for Connor Bedard. Now they could still get a good player, whether that's Matvey Mitchkoff, whether that's Adam Fantilli, they're going to get a good player. So, you know, I, I'm not pumped the brakes on, I feel that bad for them, but two generational talents that they're just sitting there saying, we were so close. We were so yeah, close stuck, and we still didn't get it. Stuck with the consolation prizes of possibly Adam Fantilli or they took Corey Perry, right? Uh, no, they in took Bobby Ryan in 2005. Bobby Ryan. That's what I meant. Um, yeah, it's, I had I wanted Anaheim to get it because Bedard and Zegers would have been unreal. That would have been hilarious cinema. But, um, no, it, it is what it is. And truthfully, like I said, it's Connor Bedard's about to become the face of the league in a few years. If he hits that potential that he can on an original six team who, I mean, they're coming. I mean, the dynasty might be tainted, but they're still kind of coming out of a dynasty in this weird rebuild. And... They could rock it right back up, man. Mm-hmm. They're good. If, if they build the right way, they're going to be a scary team, scary organization. Yeah, how fitting that the final year of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves turns right into the first year of Connor Bedard. It's a, something that Pittsburgh Penguins fans know all too well. The end of the Mario Lemieux era mm-hmm. faded right into the Sidney Crosby era. Now, of course, they didn't have as many off-the-ice issues as the Blackhawks organization has had. But like you mentioned, the one name that's left there that... I would prefer to see go is Rocky Wirtz. Probably not going to happen. Uh, but at the same time, the family was still there. <laughs> at the same, same time, owners. yeah, Kyle Davidson was not there, not part of it. So don't take it out on Kyle Davidson. Most, if not all, of the players that are still on that team were not part of it. Connor Bedard was surely not a part of it because he was five years old, five, yeah, four years old, and a lot of the fan base there, whether you like them or not had nothing to do with that situation, right? Right. So congratulations to the fan base. Congratulations to Kyle Davidson. And congratulations to Connor Bedard, because I will say, all of the shit aside, that is a terrific landing spot for him because he will be in the national eye a lot more than he would have been if he was in Columbus or Anaheim. And there will be more free agents that want to go to Chicago then we'll want to go to someplace like Columbus. I know that Johnny Gaudreau just went there, but at the end of the day, Chicago versus Columbus or Anaheim 
Chicago is the best landing spot for a young superstar. He is, yeah. And you have to think of Chicago as beyond hockey, too. He's going to a town that saw Michael Jordan back in the day. If you want to go hockey still, uh, the Bobby Hall, the older one. Um, and, you know, the history of the Cubs, the history of the Bulls and everything. Like I said, Jordan was there. They have a sports uh, mm-hmm. just mindset. So it's a good city for him to go to. Not just in hockey terms. Yeah, the history of the Bears as well, but we, we know how they've looked in recent years, which is why a lot of people ignore them. But Forgot about them because I was going <laughs> to throw Walter Payton into that list. There you go. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, fan favorites have emerged for the Pittsburgh Penguins general manager search. We'll talk about that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. No real news, Horwat, on the Pittsburgh Penguins general manager search. Fenway Sports Group keeping a tight lip, saying uh, we're not letting any leaks come out and we're not releasing any information as of yet. We've heard rumors, whispers, people that might be in the mix, people that might have drawn the interest, drawn the interest, wow, I can't speak today, of Fenway Sports Group and the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we do know for sure that there are two fan favorites, right? Like, we Mm -hmm. know for sure that the first couple of names that came out of anybody's mouth were Eric Tolsky and were Kyle Dubas. Those are the fan favorites for the Penguins' next general manager position, is it not? Oh, I've been shouting Kyle Dubas' name for months. Yeah. While Hextall still had his job, I was like, okay, so here's (laughs) what's going to happen this summer. Hextall's going to get fired. Kyle Dubas is also going to lose his job, not lose his job, his contract's up. Kyle Dubas isn't going to return because the Leafs are going <laughs> to fall apart in a, in a dramatic fashion. I didn't think it was going to be like that, but here we are. And the, the, the dominoes are going to line up perfectly. And I still do kind of believe that now. Yeah, when we look at Tolski first, it's his second season as the assistant GM of the Carolina Hurricanes. He's been with the organization for eight seasons. But what I've noticed as I've watched the Stanley Cup playoffs, because obviously anybody who wants one of these guys is going to keep a close eye on both of these teams who are both in the second round of the postseason. Outside of Sunday's Game 3 loss to the Devils, the Canes have been extremely impressive this postseason. They played the the New York Islanders, who is a, a tough team to play in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they were able to take them out in six games, and in that tough building as well in UBS Arena. And then they went out and just blew the doors off a Devils team that was riding high off a Game 7 victory in both Games 1 and Game 2. Now, they did get blown out in Game 3. We'll see what happens in Game 4, I believe, later this evening. But I just keep watching that and looking at this roster, and I'm like, it's such a good mix of veteran players, of youth. They play a great style of hockey, and part of that goes to to Rod Brindamore, of course, because he's one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. But you just understand that he's pushed the right buttons in the past couple of seasons. And of course, there's always going to be that veil that, Hey, he's the AGM. He's not the actual general manager. And while we've heard through several, several outlets, including Rob Rossi of the athletic who mentioned it and his initial story about the Penguins GM search, Tulski is pretty much the personnel trigger man, right? 
He makes a lot of the decisions for the on-ice product. How many of those decisions, it's unclear. Does he have the final say or no? It's unclear. I would imagine Don Waddell has the final say as the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, but it seems as if when I look at this team, if it's all him or mostly him, I love the team that he's constructed. The Brent Burns move was amazing, right? Trading for Shane Gostaspair, off-ice issues be damned, has been very positive for the Carolina Hurricanes. Getting Paul Stastny in the building, very good. Jordan Stahl has been very good. Their decisions to hold on to Jordan Martinuk, very good. They're young players. They had an issue last offseason and, and through most postseasons where they couldn't score in the playoffs. They bring in Max Pacioretty. Now, that hasn't worked out because of injuries, but that's addressing a need in a way that the Pittsburgh Penguins haven't done in several years. So the more I watch the Carolina Hurricanes, the more I like Tulski as my personal favorite for the job. And I don't blame you. That's a great choice. I mean, you look at this team and they're winning by association, right? This is where their production is coming from. They're down. Uh, oh, I forget who it, who it was. It just broke their hand in the uh, first round. But they're down that name. Then they're down <clears throat> uh, Sveshnikov. And we've been known that he was going to be out for the season for a long time now. And they're still out here just giving it to a devil's team, riding so much momentum and they're doing it with all three goalies. Again, didn't see that coming. I mean, Kachekov recorded the loss, but um, he's gotten his ice time. All three goalies have seen playoff ice time. Uh, Jordan Martinuk is leading the team in points in the second round with six. <laughs> Him, not, not, uh, Sebastian Ajo, not even Cockney but Jordan Martinuk is leading the team of points for the second round. It is winning by association through all of, like, through the multiple injuries that you have, uh, just depleting your lineup. Imagine if the, if all three of those guys were in. Huh. Yeah, exactly. And here's, well, here's the point that I'll make. And it really goes to both the Carolina Hurricanes and the Toronto Maple Leafs. The supporting casts are good, right? Why have the Toronto Maple Leafs gotten shelled in this series? Because Austin Matthews has two assists in three games. Mitch Marner has one assist in three games. John Tavares has no points. And William Nylander has one point in three games. It's not the supporting cast that's failing the Toronto Maple Leafs. It wasn't the supporting cast that was failing the Carolina Hurricanes. It was top-end talent. And what is the one thing the Pittsburgh Penguins usually get? Performance from their top-end talent. So either of these guys come in and instill that type of supporting cast around the Pittsburgh Penguins, you're going to see better results in the playoffs if you can build that similar supporting cast. Yeah, and you're right. You do need the supporting cast, and that's kind of what is taking over for the Leafs in the second round here. I mean, yeah, it's not producing properly, but um, in the first round, it was all of their top guys producing. I mean, Mitch Marner had 11 points. Austin Matthews had nine. Morgan Riley had eight. Tavares, O'Reilly, and Nylander all had seven. And then there's a drop-off of production. And by drop-off, I mean four points separate Nylander and Matthew Nyes from seven to three. Mm -hmm. So they weren't really getting the production from their depth um, through the first round. But now where is it gone? The main guys are 
not to be seen in the second round. And this has nothing to do with Kyle Dubas, by the way. We've seen the team that he's built. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. it. At this point, it is truly, and this is how many years in a row, it's up to the players, man. Yeah. And the one thing that I will say, too, about that is you look at the supporting cast there. It's not always points. Like Ryan O'Reilly, what has he brought to this team? Besides, he has scored points. Mm-hmm. Matthew Nyes, a guy you just mentioned, he was on the ice for all three overtime victories in Tampa in that first round series. Luke Shen has been a very integral part of them winning that series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Ilya Samsonov, first year there. They cut bait, went to a new goaltender. Ilya Samsonov has had games in this playoffs where it has been up to him and he has stood up to the challenge. The one thing I'll ding him for is Matt Murray is also not available in the playoffs because it's Matt Murray and he's never available in the most key times after his first two seasons, right? But I I think the point that I was just trying to make, and I I think you echoed it and and then obviously pushed back, which is fair, is the supporting casts are good. Both of these general managers, if they lose, it's not going to be because they constructed a poor team around their stars. It's going to be because they didn't get the performance from their stars or because they just were simply outplayed. Because let's also not forget there's always a team on the other end of the ice. Yeah, and I think it's really hard to determine what fell apart for the Leafs here. I honestly haven't watched a ton of the second round for them. Um, Just kind of been catching final scores, catching highlights, and just noticing that it truly feels like it's the Leafs being the Leafs, does it not? I mean, we see the supporting cast that Kyle D was built here. Ryan O'Reilly is a guy that we said we should deal our first-round pick for, implement him as a third, as the third-line center, and go from there. Great pickup for them. And like I said, he's one of the guys producing at the highest level for this team in the postseason. Um, trying to remember who else was there. Sam Lafferty, he picked himself up out of nowhere as, the, as one of the top trade targets <laughs> this offseason, and Toronto landed him. Good on them. Uh, they picked up Noel Chari, which seems like a great move. Then there's... Uh, who Luke they got Shen. with Lafferty. Luke Shen was also just mind-boggling. But Jake McCabe was who they got with Lafferty as well. He hasn't had a great playoffs, but... No, but you know what the general manager of that team did? Committed. Went all in. Said, here... All right. Said, I have my stars. I signed them to the deals that no one said I could sign them to. I'm going to give them the supporting cast to help. And he did that. Did it work? No. They might just be getting outplayed. Because let's be real here, it's hard to it's hard to outplay the team that just uh, ousted the best team this league has ever seen, mm-hmm. regular season wise. Right? Yeah. It's hard to stop that kind of momentum. Yeah. And also, Sergei Bobrovsky being playoff Sergei Bobrovsky. What? Ooh. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I also uh, partially blame that fan base that touts itself as one of the smartest fan bases in the National Hockey League for actively calling for the Florida Panthers in Maple Leaf Square after they won that game. I mean, how, how, how stupid could you be with that? Like, first of all, it is mental midget status that you won a playoff series for the first time since 2004, and you're calling for the eight seed, right? Don't call for the eight seed. I was just about, I just realized who won that series first. Who won their series first? Toronto, Toronto. right? Yeah. So, I'll because give... it was going into game seven for the Boston series, and they're saying, we want Florida. We, I was like, why? First I'll of all, give... first of all, you want Florida? 
the team that is a sleeping giant that was a President's Trophy winner last year yep. that had a lot of their players injured this year and has Matthew freaking Kachuk, who is one of the best playoff performers we've seen in the past two postseasons. Yeah, okay. You clearly haven't paid enough of attention to either that series or how this league works because you call for the worst team, you're going to get the better team. I thought it was a better matchup if they went up against the Bruins. I So I'm going to give Leafs fans a slight benefit of the doubt, but then I'm going to immediately... Take it away. Tank, yeah. So I'll give them benefit of the doubt of saying it's Leafs fans wanting to see the downfall of the Bruins in that moment, right? Awesome. Fair. We all wanted to see that. But immediately I go... Why did you guys not want to play the Bruins? For multiple reasons. One, they're the team that knocked you out of the playoffs on multiple occasions in very dramatic fashion. You should have wanted to take that giant. Right? You should have wanted that. Prove something to yourself. Prove something that not only did you win in the first round for the first time since 2004, (laughs) but you should have wanted the team that is coming in hot with the best record this league has ever seen. Yeah, no, that's your. I'm on your side with you. Should not have been making that kind of chant no. call. Now, anyway, back to Kyle Dubas. Um, <laughs> you get what you're asked for. That's the end of that segment. All right, absolutely, do. Kyle Dubas. Kyle Dubas. I said it before, and I'll continue to say it again. He knows what it means to hold a core together. Um, is this Toronto Maple Leafs core going to get stripped apart? Maybe he won't be part of it though. He's not going to be the one calling those shots. He knows what it means to keep a core together. The Penguins have already done that. Our core is here. It's staying together. Now it is time for a good GM to build the right pieces around them. Mm-hmm. Get ready for a bunch of Sue Greyhounds on the Penguins, but so be it. I think just because he knows what it means to hold a core and build around them, that's exactly what the Penguins need. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Dubas has this drive for analytics that's apparently FSG kind of wants to look at, wants to look into. They've been wanting to build a, a uh, an analytics department even before Hextall was, was out of here. Yeah. Kyle Dubas is the perfect man to lead that charge, and you can give him the keys to the castle. Here is general manager. Here is president. Here is analytics leader. I don't know. Create positions, because that's the other beautiful thing about the current spot the Penguins are in. They have... Obviously, the general manager role open. Mm-hmm. Brian Burke gone. They also obviously have the president of hockey ops gone. Open. That position is open. AGM is also open. Fill that with whoever. Um, and then from there, you're trying to build an analytics department. How many hires are you going to put into that? Oh, we already have a couple people there, but who's going to head it up? Who's going to be a part of it? Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of directions that Fenway can take this team. Yeah. Kyle Dubas should, at least in my opinion, be... Uh, 1A, top of the list, the big fish to get this offseason. Let him figure out this team from there. Hard to argue with that, Horwat. I I, I do think the one thing that you said that hasn't been said enough times is that where the Pittsburgh Penguins are at right now, they can restructure this front office in any way that they want right now. Right? There, There is no ties. There is... You can restructure it the way that you want. You get a blank slate from a front office perspective. And you get a team that, yes, is not in the best of situations with their roster. But you do have Sidney Crosby at 8.7. You do have Malkin Latang under market value. You have one more season of Jake Gensel under market value. You have Ricardo Raquel locked up. You have Brian Russ locked up. And you have 
the opportunity to work with a guy in Mike Sullivan who is touted as one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. Not to mention the fact that you'll get to basically hand-select your goaltending situation. Yep. There's a lot of upside, while there is also a lot of trepidation because you don't have salary cap, you don't have a prospect pool, but at least you have your draft picks. That's the one thing that Ron Hextall left his successor is, hey, you have a full complement minus a second-round pick for Mikhail Granlund. You have pretty much a full complement of draft picks. You do, and that's kind of what I was going to get into. Like, yeah, you do not have the prospect pool. You don't. As a matter of fact, our prospects are leaving. Part of that might be because we don't have a general manager able to sign a deal right now. But part, that being part said, of that is a different um, reason that we'll talk about a little later. Yes. Also, but also, uh, you're gonna have more cap space than you've ever had to work with. Like, yeah, it's not a lot, but you joined the Toronto Maple Leafs and immediately were given the task of you've to sign these four guys to over ten million dollars. Figure it out, or you know what I mean by that. Yeah. Here, you'll at least have your big guys are signed. Your Crosby, Malkin, Latang, they're signed. Gensel has another year. If you sign him now, you can get him to a more affordable deal, especially considering the season he just had, quote-unquote. You have money and space to work with. You didn't have that in Toronto. You had to kind of... You had to do Olympic-level gymnastics to figure out the Toronto Maple Leafs cap situation over the last few years. Mm-hmm. You come to Pittsburgh this offseason, sure, real quickly, that that space will fill up you make some of the right moves make some of the right uh changes sign the right contracts next thing you know you're working with all kind of space next thing you know you only need a certain fourth liner and you have like eight million dollars to work with <laughs> you never know how this offseason can go and i think the cap space can quickly fill but this offseason there should be there's gonna be more than usual for the penguins mm-hmm yeah, so we'll see who ends up getting the general manager position. We'll talk about updates as they happen. They haven't really happened, but Eric Tolsky, Kyle Dubas, clearly, far and away, the two fan favorites for the Pittsburgh Penguins' vacant general manager position. We'll wait to see what we hear, but uh, as of right now, not hearing very much. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, another name that's been floated out there that we're less excited to hear tied to the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Quick programming update. We have an episode today. Should have a Penguins to go tomorrow. Probably won't have anything on Thursday and Friday because I will be out of town. Therefore, there's also not very much news to discuss. Uh, So after that, we'll get back on our regular schedule, but it's been touch and go for the last couple of weeks. Thank you to all of our listeners that have kind of stuck around and dealt with that. But Let's continue this discussion about the Penguins' vacant general manager position. Another name, according to Elliot Friedman of 32 Thoughts and Sportsnet, that the Penguins and Flames are interested in interviewing is Stan Bowman, former general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, who we talked about a little bit in segment number one. I don't have much new to say on this front because we've already discussed this. Obviously, we know why. The Penguins would need clearance from the league in order to hire Stan Bowman. It is not good 
They're not fun reasons. They're reasons that, honestly, if I was in charge of the search, would automatically disqualify Stan Bowman. But I'm not in charge of the church, in charge of the search. Therefore, this is still something that we have to discuss. But what I will say is taking that stuff away that would immediately disqualify him in my eyes. I can't speak. They need a new line of thinking in Pittsburgh. And the hockey guy TM Mm -hmm. that Stan Bowman is, is not something that's going to be able to shepherd in a new era of Penguins hockey while maximizing the remainder of the core's careers in my eyes. So take away all the other stuff, which in my shouldn't be taken away, honestly, at all. And I still don't like him as a fit. I don't. Oh, yeah. No, you shouldn't. It's like, you're right. Taking away all of the black marks, red flags on his resume. Look at how he took a dynasty. I just, I mentioned not too long ago that the Chicago Blackhawks were a dynasty. Who was one of the main faces as to why it fell apart and why Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves were still on the team and one of the worst teams in the NHL? Stan Bowman was trying to bring the band back together and doing it in the worst possible way. He traded away Artemi Panarin. We see how that's gone. He, I can't remember too many other moves, but that's the big one. He tried to bring back Brandon Saad. He signed Brent Seabrook to the worst possible contract. Duncan Keith to the worst possible contract. Um, He drove a very good team into the ground with just bad signing after bad signing after bad trade. The genuine downfall of the Chicago Blackhawks and how great they were. How we could how many times do we talk about the Chicago Blackhawks and go they have our number. They have our card. We would be unable to beat them in any we did we couldn't beat them for how many straight years. Doesn't didn't matter whose home ice it was. I forget who it was. I think it was Josh Joey tweeted a long time ago that the league was robbed of a Penguins-Blackhawks-Stanley Cup final over the years. You might be right about that in terms of phenomenal hockey between two dynasties at the time. But at the same time, uh, I would have taken the Hawks in five. Penguins could not beat them. At all. Ever. I hated playing against them because we just couldn't beat them. Even whenever they were starting their tail off, we still couldn't do it. So, they were a very good team. And then Stan Bowman decided, these decisions will make the team good. Down the drain. Yeah. His final few seasons with an aging core in Chicago, and they weren't even aging to the level that the Pittsburgh Penguins core is currently aging. They went 7th, 6th, 7th, and 6th in the Central Division. Mm -hmm. Not great, right? Chicago's last series win to this day was in 2015, eight years ago, when they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Stanley Cup. They missed the playoffs several years. And honestly, that doesn't spark confidence that he's going to be able to come into Pittsburgh and build around this core as they're aging. Right? Who's he going to bring back? That That's going to be the first question that anybody asks. Who's he going to bring back? Ian Cole? Patrick Hornfist? Jordan Stahl? Like, we, we've mentioned all of these, but we mentioned them in, in jest. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. If that is the first option, which it should never be, the, the first option should never be retreading an old player, then I just don't see why anybody would expect him, especially at Fenway Sports Group, especially within the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, would expect Stan Bowman to come in and operate differently 
as the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins as he did as the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks. Do you want to know one of the final deals that Stan Bowman signed with the Blackhawks? One of the last. I don't know if it was the last, but it was one of the last. Seth Jones oh. to $9.5 million. Full no move for eight seasons. Oh, yeah, that started this year. He signed that in 2021. Yikes. I I should just present that as the only option, as the only reason. Item number one and final item. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, like, like I said, yes, all the red tape, all the black marks from before, then then the Artemi Panarin saga, and then just this. 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 This was a bad deal whenever it was signed. Mm Mm-hmm. We're a year into it, and you could say, oh, he was one of the better players on the team. Yeah, better one of the better players on the team that just got the first round pick. Or first overall pick, sorry. Yeah. Um, no thanks. I'll stay far away from Stan Bowman. Thankfully, it doesn't seem like the league has given uh, the option for people to talk to him. As of yet. But, as of yet, of course. But I... I understand that Fenway wants to talk to as many names as possible, right? You do. And that's what you want to do when you're casting a wide net. You want to talk to as many names and faces as possible. Maybe even get some information out of some guys. Like, you know, what have your thoughts been on this other general, possible general manager? Stan Bowman isn't a man you put into this search regardless. You want to talk to as many people as possible? Sure. You want to talk to a successful GM? Sure. During his during his time, was Stan Bowman a successful GM? Yeah. People do get blinded by three cup rings. It's hard to not. I mean, why do you think Matt Murray still has a career? Two of them. As a rookie. But there's just too many marks against him that really shouldn't make him an option here. Mm -hmm. Counselor Horwat has rested his case, and with that, we will move on to our weekly Pens poll. We asked, of these three candidates... Who would you most like to see the Penguins hire as their next general manager? And there's a reason we talked about Tulski and Dubas as the fan favorites, because they ran away and made it neck and neck with each other and left Jason Botterill in the dust. Eric Tulski got 41% of the vote. Kyle Dubas got 37% of the vote. 16% of voters said, I don't want any of these three. I'd like somebody else. And Jason Botterill, former AGM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, former general manager of the Buffalo Sabres, current assistant GM, of the Seattle Kraken, 6% of the vote. Why do you think so many people didn't choose Jason Botterill? I just think it's a retread. I don't think... They don't like Jason Botterill for the sake of... They look at the Buffalo Sabres. Look at the Buffalo Sabres. He built a lot of this good team. That team's good now. Was he around for the bad years? Sure. But he was out there wheeling and dealing... Getting Tage Thompson, <clears throat> making the draft picks for Rasmus Dahlin and other names that I'm forgetting. But, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people can look at the uh, Skinner contract and go, oh. But, you know, I, I think people just look at his tenure with the Sabres, see that they had a bunch of losing seasons, and don't look at the now because, it, you know, a lot of people look at the what have you done for me lately. Uh, I get where people have their holdouts with Bottero. He's also a long shot, really. I mean... Is he ready for a GM job yet again? Hard to say. Uh, but it's a retread. People want to see something new. Mm-hmm. 
and that's why everyone shoots for Eric Tolsky, who would be a first-time GM, or Kyle Dubas, who is just the name of general managers, right? It, when it comes to every team's general manager search, Pittsburgh's, Philadelphia's, Calgary's, Dubas has to be near the top of all the lists, right? He just has to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, not every team can get him, obviously, but not every team's going to be able to talk to him even, but he just has to be on your list. He is Kyle Dubas. He's built a Toronto Maple Leafs team that did the thing and is now doing the thing. Yeah, the yin and the yang of Toronto Maple Leafs. That's certainly been Kyle Dubas's, his resume, and you have to think eventually he's going to want out of that entire cycle that he's put himself in in Toronto. It's a, it's a tough place to do anything if you're a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. So not to say that it's an easy place to do it in Pittsburgh. It's it's not. There's there's a lot of criticism in Pittsburgh too, but the, the level of the market is a little bit lower than the one uh, up in basically the hockey capital of the world, Toronto, Ontario. I mean, every time there's a goal scored, good or bad, what do I always tell you? There's just a still camera on the press box of Kyle Dubas. Yeah, that's true. Why do we think? Why do you think we get so many videos and clips of him throwing a water bottle, yelling at fans in Tampa Bay, or celebrating and hugging him with a man who just got hit by a car earlier that day? By the way, did no one mention that Brandon Prindle was hit by a car that day? Why do we think that? Because he's in such a large market, and all the focus goes on him at way more times than it should. FSG's first offer to him, literally, I said this to you, I may have said it on here, the first thing on their list should be, we won't have a camera stuck on your box. We're going to let you be a general manager. We're not going to have all of the focus every time a goal is scored straight up to you. Mm-hmm. And this is also only on the Canadian feeds, by the way. People who watch ESPN will not see that. But look over Twitter. It, those clips and those videos and those pictures are everywhere. Why? Yeah. Because he is the focal point of this team. He comes to Pittsburgh, he won't be. He'll still be a huge name and still make, you know, a lot of and catch a lot of eyes, but it'll be the team doing the talking. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that we have been, what, two, three weeks into this process and we haven't heard of any interviews that have actually happened. We haven't heard of any real concrete candidates other than the fact that the Pittsburgh Penguins continue to find new names, to search for new names, and that they are casting a net that is going to be enough to field a football team, basically. Uh, So we'll see if any new names come up. We'll see if any new updates come up. And in the meantime, just expect that Eric Tolsky and Kyle Dubas are going to be the names you're going to see most of because that's the name that fans are most likely to hope for in this general manager search. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. 